0: was kind of excited about celebrating our nation's birthday this weekend and you know as we were doing that I was kind of watching and thinking that for me uh, you know I remember us going through a recession back in the early 90s Uh, but this is you know I don't know that for me I've looked at our nation and seen us in as tough a time economically and and maybe uh just the way we feel about ourselves as a nation right now as as we are right now, um, now I, I keep telling people all the time. I told somebody even this morning before the first service I, I really think the answer to it all if we could just get gas below three dollars a gallon, I think we 'd all be happy we 'd all be excited we 'd spend a little bit more money uh, we 'd rebound from all that i don 't think that 's going to happen by the way, but I think that would solve all of our little economic uh, woes that we 've got going on. I was reading a story this week. Uh, about a, a lady named Ann Scheiber. Now, she died in 1995. She was 101 when she died. Uh, but she had, had retired at age 51. I'd put it back in 1943. to Kind of put things in perspective here. When she retired in 1943, she was making about $3,000 a year. All right? She had managed to save up to that point about $5,000. And she invested it in some stocks when she retired. Now, she, she didn't... Live extravagantly. She she was in a little small rundown apartment in Manhattan. So they say the furniture was all torn up. She never replaced it. There was dust everywhere. Uh, she didn't want to spend money on a, a newspaper subscription. So once a week she'd go down to the library and read the Wall Street Journal. And as I say, five thousand dollars she invested in 1943. That's all she had at the time. In um, in 1995, when she was 101 and died, she, she left her entire uh, estate, so to speak, her entire estate to a university there in New York. Her estate was valued at $22 million, all because of investing $5,000. Uh, but you see, she kind of understood the value of investing for the long haul. Those stocks went up and down, I'm sure, over those many years that she had them, but she never sold it off. Um, She understood that worthwhile investments take time to mature. And, you know, no matter whether you're a a baby Christian, you've just met Christ or or you've been serving him faithfully for years and years and years, I think we all have to uh, uh, to sit back and. And kind of get a lesson again. Maybe maybe we've heard it all before. But maybe just kind of remind us about spiritual investments and how they take time to mature. Uh, you know, I've met a lot of people over the years who just kind of bailed out on their spiritual investments. Maybe they bailed out on being a, a husband or a wife. Or maybe they bailed out on being a father. Maybe they bailed out on the church. Just got a little bit disillusioned with the church. And of course, everybody I ever meet when they tell me that and share that story with me, I tell them, you know what? You're going to be disappointed in the church for the rest of your life. Uh, man, put your faith in Jesus Christ. Put your investment in Him, not in the church. Now, I think He certainly wants us to serve in the church, but our investment needs to be in Him. And, and I, you know, I've, but I've even met people who've basically cashed out on God. They've just walked away from Him. good news is He's always there. He's ready to receive Him. Um, and, and wherever you go, He is already there. But you know... Here's a little bit of good news for this uh, downturn in the economy. God wants us to be rich. Now, He may not care about it material rich, but He does want us to be spiritually rich. He tells us, I was looking through uh, Timothy this morning, First Timothy. You don't have to turn there. I've got it. It's First Timothy chapter 6. You might jot that down in your notes. Uh, verse, starting with verse 17, it says, Command those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, command them to be to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. God wants us to to reap those dividends of of peace of uh, joy of of contentment, of fulfillment. I mean, I believe He wants us to lay our head on that pillow at night and uh, and just know and feel content and satisfied in our investment. In fact, in John uh, 10, verse 10, many of you know the verse well. It says, I, I have come that they may have life and they may have it abundantly. He wants us to have an abundant life here on this earth. Matthew... Uh, uh, Well, let me go to Mark first. Mark chapter 10, verse 21. You know the story of the rich young ruler. He came to God wanting to know, or came to Christ wanting to know what to do. And Christ gave him a great investment plan. He said, Sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. Great investment plan, but the rich young ruler couldn't do it. Now in Matthew chapter 6, another verse that that Christ shares with us, it says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break and steal. You know, in Corinthians, uh, first Corinthians three, a great story about making Christ the foundation of our life and and the best visual picture I ever had of that it was back. It was the first church I served. Uh, I was very honest with the first crowd. Uh, I wasn't real smart in some things I did early in my ministry. Uh, I was the only full-time staff member. Our pastor had left. We were looking for a pastor. Uh, we built about almost a one million dollar addition, and this was up in Eclectic. And you know, a tornado hit, and I I, I didn't know these things. Okay, so Sunday the construction crew hands the keys over to us. They're through. They've completed the job. I didn't know about the whole insurance thing. You know, I hadn't built a house. I didn't know what that meant. So our building wasn't insured. That's on Sunday. On Monday, a tornado hits eclectic. And and I had a friend who went up in a helicopter and followed the path of the tornado. And you could literally see it. It it was a half a mile wide. It came from Wetumpka. It came up. Came up to eclectic. Went in eclectic. Stopped, went up in the cloud, went over the church, and came back down, and went on through. Now I promise you, I'm much smarter now. When Christ Community needs insurance on something, I'll make sure that's taken care of before it's too late. All right, I'll, I'll try to do that. But that tornado taught me a lot of a lot visually. About the materials we put into things and how we can apply that to our life. I, this one street that I, somebody had told me, you know, a lot of houses got hit over there. And so I, I rushed up. It was actually called Ann Street. And I, I rushed up to Ann Street and, and was driving down the road and I, I, I saw these houses. And I saw a lot, of, a lot of damage. And I realized I was missing something. So I turned around and I went back and, and there were two houses. And in between them, I knew there was supposed to be a house. But it wasn't there. Now these two houses were made of brick. The one in between, I really don't know what it was made of, but I do know that when I looked out in the trees, I saw a lot of uh, like siding, and insulation, and bits and pieces of lumber. But literally, all that was left on that site was a concrete slab. There was nothing else. The entire house was just taken away. And you know, it was a great visual for me, uh, even spiritually, to see, man. You know, what what we build our life with. What we put our investments into make an incredible difference for how we're going to stand when the storms come. You know, we could, uh, and I I probably would want to. uh, Keith tells people all the time how much I enjoy running, and I really do. I love to run. I've had people tell me over the years, I don't believe anybody really likes to run. I drive down on the road. I've never seen anybody smiling when they're running on the road. Well, I don't know if I smile or not, but I'll tell you this. I really do enjoy running, and I probably should have, could have, uh, titled this message, Running to Win. Because, you know, I, I think Paul, man, I think he was a huge sports fan. He uses so many sports analogies in his writing. I think that's one reason I, I love to read Paul's writing so much. It, it, they just connect with me because of this um, sports uh, uh, sports analogies that he uses. And, and we're going to read, if you'll turn to, to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, it will be on the screen here behind me, or you can turn there in your book. But, you know, in the process of using this sports analogy, I think Paul kind of gives us, describes three qualities of a, of a long-term spiritual investors. And and long-term are, are qualities of those who, who are going to live the abundant life. So follow along with me. First Corinthians 9, starting with verse 24, it says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners won, run? but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified." For the prize. So we're going to look at about three different investments that we can make that we draw from those verses. Investment number one is determination. You know, life is like a race, and it, it is a race. Uh, Paul asked, Do you not know that those run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Life is a race. Sometimes it's described as a rat race, uh, sometimes it's uphill, sometimes it's downhill. Uh, no matter what, life is a race, and uh, this race is—it's it, it, not a sprint; it's a marathon. You got to put a lot of time and investment into it. Um, it come—the dividends come from long-term investments, and you know, marathons aren't aren't one in a day. It's daily determination. I don't know whether I was blessed or cursed to have two friends that I have, but they talked me years ago into running a marathon with them. And uh they didn't just do it once. They did it like about eight times they talked me into running this. In fact, every time, and she'll vouch for me here, every time after the race I look at Lisa when I'm trying to put shoes on my feet and just say, Do not let me do this again. And within about two weeks we're planning where our next one's going to be. Um but you know, the the marathon and a marathon is twenty six point two miles. Don't forget the point two, that's the hardest two of the race it is a long race that takes a lot of training. It takes days and days and weeks and weeks and months and months. These two guys that I run with, we usually, usually plan about 12 weeks out to start our training program. Now one year they tricked me and we only started about seven weeks out from the marathon, and I, I was ready to kill them by the end of the marathon. but nonetheless, we for 12 weeks will do this plan of what we're going to run. And we spend a lot of time together. And it's great fellowship. And man, when you're running a 15 to 20 mile to 22 mile run, that's a lot of hours in there to spend that could get really boring. But fortunately, I've got these two guys with me that we we spend time fellowshipping. We spend time... uh, Boy, we've had some great uh, theological discussions out on a road, believe it or not. But it takes a long time for that marathon. It's not a sprint. It's daily determination. And there also in in verse 24, notice again, it says, all run, but one receives the prize. Now, my translation of that is in the race of life, some win and some lose. Um, Some achieve some great things for God, while others uh, live just for themselves. Some find fulfillment and some live with, with what might have been. You know, I say all the time, God's will is going to be accomplished. Now, He asks us to be a part of that. And we got a great privilege to be a part of that. Sometimes we choose not to. We choose to kind of walk away from what we know God's telling us to do. His will is going to be done. He'll just go to the next person and let them take care of it. And so we've just missed a great blessing. To me, it's kind of sad when, uh, uh, when, when we just don't live up to our full potential of life. So life is like a race. And the next point there is some run to win, some just run. Now you may have seen a few years ago, or even now on DVD, I think it still comes on TV all the time, movie, Forrest Gump. Wasn't my favorite movie. It was okay. It wasn't my favorite of all time. Although there's probably one scene in it that I just loved. And that was the scene where, where Forrest's girlfriend gave him a pair of, of Nike running shoes. And you can tell by looking at it, it would have been probably set in about 1970 by looking at those Nike shoes. I, by the way, had a pair of those Nike shoes. But Forrest just takes off running. He straps on the shoes and he takes off running. he says, you know, I ran and I ran. And I said, hmm, I guess I'll run some more. And so he runs from Greenbow, Alabama, and he just takes off running. And he keeps running and running and running. And finally he finds himself on the West Coast my guess, by looking at the scenery, it was probably San Francisco. He runs up to the, the pier, runs out on the pier, and he looks, and there's nowhere left to run. So he just turns around and starts running back the other way. Of course, the movie tells us he just kind of keeps crisscrossing the country, just running all over the place. And what else happens? I mean, another 100 or 200 people start following him and running with him. But Forrest was not running to win anything. He was just running. He really wasn't getting anywhere. And I guess he kind of realized that, right? He was out in the desert running and he just stopped and decided he was through running. You know, Paul says that only one receives the prize. So run in such a way that we may obtain it. it literally means run in such a way that you win. You know, what does it mean to win, to receive the prize in this Christian race? Uh, what does it mean to have a long term investment there in. A, If you'll note on verse 25, it says they, the runners, run to obtain a perishable crown. But we run for an imperishable crown. Back in Paul's day, uh, the Olympians, when they finished that race and they had won, they were given a crown. It was a garland wreath. And as I've read about it, I've learned that that garland wreath uh, basically withered away within a few days. But that's what they ran for. Uh, you know, I was watching Olympic trials last night. I'm thinking about some of the swimmers that I was watching as they go. And, and obviously several of them have, have great potential to come home with the gold. Well, they're going to come home with the gold and probably a Gatorade endorsement and a Wheaties endorsement and all kinds of money. These guys ran for a crown that was going to last for a couple of days now took me a while this i guess this is perishable cuz it took me a while to find it last night i was looking i finally found it in a sock drawer um this is one this isn't even the one i wanted to bring i wanted to bring a different one but each marathon i've run they've given me a little medal this one is from the uh the Blue Angel Marathon down in Pensacola and i even noticed with it can you believe i did 26.2 miles to get this uh, okay it's lasted a little longer than a a, a garland wreath but uh well anyway this is what I got for running twenty six point two miles. I did get a nice shirt too, but it's it's also gone by the wayside. But I've even noticed this one; it's it's started to tarnish. There's a little bit of green on it. But I trained and trained to get this. Those Olympians trained and trained to get a wreath to put on their head that was going to die in a few days. We run in order to receive an imperishable crown. You know, in salvation we've got eternal life. I've been running the race to win. Uh, we get, and and Paul talks about it a little bit in 2 Timothy 4, eight. he describes it as a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give on that day. So the big difference in our race and the race for those guys on the track, every Christian has the chance to win. Only one of those guys is going to win. Every one of us can win. You know, every Christian already has, uh, has won. We've got salvation in Jesus Christ. But we all have the right. Uh, if we have the right strategy and practice self discipline. We can win that righteous crown that Second Timothy talks about. Also, determination makes all the difference. You know, one of the, the greatest tragedies in the world to me is a is a person who possesses great abilities, great potential, but they just kind of drift through life. They don't have any ambition. They don't have any drive. They don't have any determination. They just kind of settle for for mediocrity. Uh, A few years ago, uh, back in the 80s, and and the first crowd, I really dated myself on this because a a lot of folks here probably don't remember when college football, there was no tiebreaker. There used to be where you could actually tie at the end of the game. Well, I remember back in the 80s watching and cheering on Auburn as they were playing Syracuse in the Sugar Bowl. And and many of you probably remember it. It it got down to the end. There were seven seconds left on the board. Auburn was down 17-14. Uh, 12-yard line or so, I think. And and they had a chance to win the ball game. A good pass wins the game. Field goal ties it. And Coach Dice sends out the field goal unit. They kick the ball, they tie. Um, of course, Syracuse, I think, sent... I want to say it was like 2,000 neckties to Coach Dye as a joke. Of course, he got the last laugh because he sold those ties for a scholarship fund and made something like a million dollars off of those ties for a scholarship fund. But the point is, here are some guys who worked hard. I, I mean, literally, I don't know, there probably was blood, but certainly sweat and tears. They worked hard for that game. And they ended up with a tie. And And Paul's message is, don't settle for a tie. Give every day all that you've got to give. God has given you one life to live and live it for Him. Don't just run, but win. And you know, Paul to me is a great example of, of determination. Uh, Acts chapter 14, you know, the Jews are coming out. They're trying to stir up the crowd against Paul. And, and they've basically done it. And having persuaded the multitudes, there in, in 14 uh, verse 19, it says, having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. I mean, talk about determination. You couldn't keep him away. He was left for dead. And he basically hops up on those feet and goes back into the city. And and he was determined to be a winner. He was determined to make wise investments of his time, of his abilities, of his resources. And that's why at the end of his life, he was able to say, you know, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. So there's our our first investment. Our second investment, investment number two, is direction. Uh, I remember very well, uh, my sister is about four years older than I am, and I remember when she graduated from college, uh, she was moving to Atlanta, and the whole family had to help her move to Atlanta, of course. It's the first job after college, right? So... My parents and I, and I'm pretty sure Lisa, actually, we we were dating at the time. I think she even went with us and, and my grandmother met us up there. I mean, this was a huge family event, right? Well, we all got ready to leave and instructions were given, directions were given to my grandmother uh, to get back to Sulacaga, from Atlanta to Sulacaga. Really not a difficult journey, right? But she missed one part of those directions. And the next thing she knew, uh, she was pulling into Macon, Georgia. She'd gone in the total opposite direction of Sulacaga. Grandmother uh, at that point um, needed a little bit of direction, right? And we all need to have direction in our life. Uh, one point of that is to invest is not enough. We must make wise investments. Ann Shaber, that I talked about at first, she could have made... Um, she could have invested her nest egg unwisely. She could have taken that $5,000 and spent it on a newspaper subscription or whatever. But she chose not to. She chose to invest it and she became a wealthy uh individual because she invested wisely. Um Paul says we are to run not with uncertainty. And then he changes he he, he leaves racing um and goes into boxing here for a second. He says, "I fight not as one who beats the air." States that his life goal is to win as many people as he can to Christ. He had a direction, he had a purpose. I mean, what a what an example. He had a goal. I have shared with our students on a couple of occasions um, about my nephew. My nephew just turned 16 in May. He has direction in his life. He wants to be the youngest American to ever win the world's strongest man competition. Now you may not even know what that is, but if you ever watch ESPN2 late at night, you can watch the World's Strongest Man competition. They lift like these big concrete balls and cars and they'll put people in a cage and lift them. I mean, they lift all kinds of weird things, but these guys are really strong. My nephew, he doesn't really want anything. So his birthday for his 16th birthday back in May, we didn't know what to get him. Lisa and I gave him um, several bags of quick so that he can make his own cement balls, which he's done. And my sister's real thrilled because they're all in her, her garage. Um, but Taylor wants to be the youngest, strongest man in the world. Right? That's what he wants to do. And a few months ago, uh, he, he set a, a state record. He was at a high school competition. He set a state record Uh, in, let's see, he set three of them. One was for squats, one was for deadlift, and one was a combined total of the two or something like that. And I was real proud of him. I thought, oh, that's great, man. He set a high school record. Then I found out, no, he set the state record for men. Not just for high school, but for men. He is uh, within, I think he told me, 60 pounds of the world record in squats, which is right around 750 pounds for a squat. Uh, And he's within 60 or so pounds of setting that world record he's flying back as we speak he's on an airplane coming home from Norway uh, where he was working out uh, had been invited by the guy who is the strongest man in the world he had invited him to come over and work out with him and so he's on, on his way back from Norway right now but Taylor is a young man who has so much direction he knows where he wants to go he set his goal and everything he lives and breathes is steering him towards reaching that goal um, you know, whether it's a, uh, in the world of financial investing or running a race or fighting a fight or, or lifting weights um, or living for Christ, we've got to have direction. We've got to have sound strategies and we've got to have sound planning. So here are uh, four strategies to keep us going in the right direction. First one is going to be lay aside distracting sin. I can assure you that every one of us in this room has at least one sin in our life that we just struggle with. And it keeps showing its ugly face in our life. Hebrews 12.1 says, lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us. That sin is is keeping us from being who God wants us to be. And we've got to lay that sin aside. Uh, Another strategy is to run with endurance. Keep going there in Hebrews twelve one. It says, "Run with endurance the race that is set before us." Uh, the Marines have a slogan: "When the going gets tough, the tough get going." You know, a lot of people uh, they they take off the starting line, man. They take out of those gates. They're fast. They're ready to sprint. I, I worked with a, a a pastor years ago that I think he thought most. Most things were a marathon, but he wanted to run the relay and he wanted to run the first 100 yards and then hand the baton off and let somebody else finish it. But it's a marathon. It's, it's, it takes endurance. Uh, we've, got, we've got others in this room who've done marathons as well. And they can stand up here and tell you just the same as I can. It takes endurance. You come out of those gates running fast, you're going to fade by mile five. You get ready for that endurance. You just pace yourself and you get going. We have to run with endurance. Uh, Paul uh, says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Well, here's another strategy. We've got to keep our focus on Jesus. Uh, one, one verse later in Hebrews 12, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher, of our faith. Now, I've had the privilege to help coach a track team. They let me coach the distance guys. But now, one of the distance races, uh, and, and we told all of our guys, whether they were sprinters, hurdlers, distance, whatever, we said, always look at the finish line. Don't look at who's beside you. Watch the finish line. And one of the distance races we had was—they classified as distance—was the 800 meters. That's the half mile. To me, it's the hardest race in a track meet you've got to sprint for a half mile. You know, the 400, you can sprint for one lap. But you keep going. Well, we had one guy at the district championships a few years ago. I'm going to tell you why he came out strong. And for 700 meters, he was blowing everybody away. He had 100 meters left. He was fixing to qualify for state. And he was going to have an incredible time. He had 100 meters left. Just the back stretch or the home stretch. And I don't know if he felt somebody moving up beside him or what. But as he's running along, he glanced over. He took his eye off the finish line and he glanced over. He ended up in fifth place. And when he glanced over, nobody was close to him, but he took his eyes off that finish line. And, and this year that became even more uh, real to me as I, I coached a 7- uh, and 8-year-old baseball team. The hardest thing you can do for 7- and 8-year-olds is to convince them not to look where the ball went, they just hit, but to look at first base and run as hard as you can. And we had a couple that finally were able to to, to do that, and they showed that they actually made it to first. They were safe because they didn't watch the ball. They just beat the throw because they were running as hard as they could. Well, we've got to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. And then uh, the fourth strategy there is to look to the fields. In Matthew 9, uh, verses 36 through 38, familiar verses to us, uh, basically says, you know, Jesus is moved with compassion for the people, his heart ached for them. And then he goes on to pray to, to God that we, the people with him, his disciples, but we will have that same compassion for the lost. We'll have that same compassion to focus on the field. So there are two investments. Uh, let's, let's move into investment number three. Investment number three is discipline. And discipline keeps us going when we'd rather give up. Uh, one other privilege I've had over the last several years when i first moved to montgomery as a student pastor uh, almost almost nine years ago now first person i met in my neighborhood was randy ragsdale and we hit it off Uh, some of you know him he's a member of our church and, and coach rags is the he's the coach for for trinity presbyterian and within about two days of meeting him he invited me to be the chaplain for the football team, which I was new in town. I was looking for a way to be around students. I I jumped all over it. I've been doing it for for eight years now. And, And probably in those eight years, there may have been three times I was out of the country during a ball game. The rest of the time, I've seen every play they've made. And I don't feel as intimidated saying it in here now because he was at the first service. But I've seen them win a lot of games when the other team was a lot better. They were better athletes. But Trinity has an incredible strength and conditioning program. And so when it comes to the end of the game, those guys are ready to keep going. Whereas the other team might be better, they've disciplined their bodies to the point that they can keep going. There's another part of that is they are so well disciplined by their coaches, they are a disciplined ball team. And so they do what it takes to win. Uh, They've won a lot of games that they probably shouldn't have. Uh, And I can say that comfortably now. Uh, Paul also says there in verse 25, he says, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Everyone who competes for the prize goes into strict training. Taylor, my nephew that I talked about a minute ago, he didn't even want to go to Norway because he was concerned it was going to mess up his training schedule. Now, fortunately, he had a, a very smart uh, father and trainer who convinced him that going to work out with the guy who's the strongest man in the world would probably be good for his training. But he was scared that time on the plane or altering his routine. And when we do family things, I, I can tell you, you want to talk about uh, a 16-year-old who is disciplined. I mean, my parents go like really overboard whenever we get together with food and especially sweets Sixteen-year-old nephew won't touch one of them. Now, you give him any piece of meat and he's going to eat that meat because it's going to build muscle. He's gone into strict training. Um, Paul also said, I I fight not as one who beats the air. Uh, You know, there's an old saying that champions don't become champions in the ring. They're merely recognized there. They become champions because they're disciplined. Now, I had to to, uh, apologize before making this last point in the first service because it's Family Sunday. And and I I chose a word that we really don't even use at my house. We're not allowed to use at my house. And my oldest has already forgiven me. He came up to me after the service and said it fit in the the message. So he was going to allow me to say it. But uh, this last point is that smart people do stupid things because of a lack of discipline. We don't use the word stupid at our house. But in this context, it works, right? There are a lot of smart people who do some stupid things. There are a lot of... uh, uh, politicians and, and pastors and church leaders who've made some stupid decisions, primarily because of a lack of self-control. Now, you saw... Let me give a little sidebar plug here. You saw all these kids up here with kids' crew a while ago. This month, our kids' crew is learning about self-control. Um, you hear Keith say a lot of times, boy, you need to have you need to have your kids here. You need to have kids here. And I'm thinking, you know, a lot of people are probably saying, ah, he's just saying that because Rachel leads it. Well, you know what? I'm not Keith. You need to have your kids here, the kids crew. It is incredible what they come home learning. Right now they're learning self-control. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's like pointed toward my oldest one because he really needs some self-control. Everybody at VBX last week came up. I, th- I was so... Thankful, man. Everybody's coming up saying how much they were praying for me. I thought they were talking about me becoming the associate pastor. And then they say, we met Rand this week. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, he needs to learn some self-control. He's learning self-control. But I'm going to tell you what. Kids crew, he's had the opportunity to come. Oh, wow. I, I remember one of his friends' house burned down. I didn't even know the, the little boy. I got home on a Friday afternoon and Rand's in his room cleaning stuff out. I thought he was just cleaning his room. So said, what are you doing? So I'm going through stuff. He had a pile of toys and a pile of clothes and then some other pile. I said, what are those piles for? He said, oh, these are for my friend whose house burned down. I said, really? Well, Why are you doing that? He said, well, Dad, we've been talking about servicing kids' crew. You want to talk about a testimony of of what it means. We're, these kids are learning about self-control where a lot of our politicians, a lot of our pastors A lot of our church leaders, a lot of our world leaders, they don't know self-control. These students are learning self-control. That's what we need to learn. Uh, Most people, including Christians, let their body tell their minds what to do. Athlete has to make his mind control his body. Uh, This medal, I'm going to tell you what, that particular race, And I was feeling good for 13 miles. I felt great. It was a little bit of a warm day. I was was sweating real good, but I was feeling good. Man, there was a great tailwind behind me just pushing me along. I got to mile 13 with no problem. I turned into that what was a tailwind. Now it became a headwind. It was about 15 miles an hour sustained. And where I'd been sweating, especially right here in these thighs, they just locked up. For 13 miles and I, I could literally run about 200 yards and stop and I have to massage the knots out of my thighs to keep on going. Now I did keep on going. I had to make myself keep on going. I had to get my mind to tell my body that that's what I was going to do. Uh, was, it helped to tell my body that because I had a friend that was going to finish and he was not going to let me hear the end of it if I didn't. Uh, but, you know, kind of in conclusion, you know, above all, we've got to make the investment. We've got to run the race. We've got to enter the ring and we've got to make our life count. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. I just want to give you a, a few moments here to, to spend some time alone with God. I'm going to be quiet in a second and let you just, uh, just sit there and you can make your chair uh, an altar. Or you may want to go over to one of the crosses, I know the one over to my left, your right, Mike Murphy is over there to receive anyone who, who just needs to talk, who needs to uh, find out a little bit more about investing your life, maybe you've come this morning and, and you haven't made that first investment of just asking, asking Christ to be Lord of your life, and probably don't even really know what I'm talking about up here, that's okay, because Mike's over there, man I'm right here after the service, Maybe it's a person that brought you. Maybe a person sitting beside you just want to take their hand and ask ask them for help. So I'm going to give you a few moments just to pray. Go talk to Mike if you need to. And then we'll close in prayer. Father I thank you for some verses that give us a, a pretty clear investment plan uh, we we look at this world and and I know there are men and women all over this country who've who've invested a lot of money in a lot of things and they're sitting there today wondering what's happened father we we just we, we don't have any comfort and and what's going to happen how high a gas is going to get father but Thank you for showing us an investment plan that we can have unbelievable certainty on. Father, help us just to invest wisely. Help us to invest every minute of every day in you, Father, and in, 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 in gaining that, that crown of righteousness. Father, I, I, I just I pray for those, I, I pray for everyone in this room. I pray that we would have that compassion that, that Christ showed for the lost. Father and that I just I just pray for those who who don't personally know you now, Father that an, another day won't go by without them getting to know you without them getting that opportunity to make wise investments. Father again, I, I pray for so many who are, are traveling, I just pray for uh, traveling mercies for them. we pray this in Jesus' name.